It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Every Saturday at 2 o'clock, and we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right, and we try to bring some context to the news of the week or a subject maybe that doesn't find its way into the conversation enough. It is Christmas Eve Eve. So great to have you here for the penultimate edition of the year of the middle. Feeling a lot of gratitude today. The streets are kind of empty, but for tourists and shoppers right now. I took my normal path of uh, I take my city bike up First Avenue and pretty quiet. There is something about the city streets when they're kind of empty that's jarring. I guess you kind of get into this rhythm of like you get used to cars at all hours. And then when it gets a little lighter like today, hopefully you're spending some time not in shopping malls, but figuring out ways to collect your thoughts at the end of the year, enjoy the significance of the holiday. Also, for those of you who celebrate, happy Festivus, the festival for the rest of us. You know, it's funny. I went to look for that a little bit about Festivus, and I assume the Seinfeld episode would have been called Festivus. But it wasn't. It was actually an episode about how Kramer finds out that the strike has ended at H&H Bagels after 12 years, and he can go back to, he can go back to work. But if you want to know what Festivus is, I did find this cut that kind of explains it. I haven't celebrated Festivus in years. What is your interest? Well, just tell me everything, huh? Many Christmases ago, I went to buy a doll for my son. <laughs> I reached for the last one they had, but so did another man. As I rained blows upon him, I realized there had to be another way. A new holiday was born. A Festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> and at the Festivus dinner, you gather your family around and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past <laughs> year. All the ways they've disappointed you, Festivus, for the rest of us. I hope you have an excellent Festivus holiday. So we've been hearing, you heard Cudlow, you heard more, how great the economy is doing. Everyone is doing their year-end takes. It's really good news for everyone, just about everyone in the economy. Some are feeling it more than others. The Dow is in record territory. Inflation is now below the Fed target. Interest rates they announced are probably going to come down next year. You heard Cudlow's guest talk about that. 
GDP growth 4.9% last year, closer to 3% for this whole year. Best job market since the 1960s. Lowest uninsured rate in history of those that need health insurance. Crime has fallen across the United States. Consumer sentiment is spiking, meaning people feel more confident. The misery index is coming down. People feel more confident, which is always a good sign. Wage growth and new business formation are historically higher than they have been any time in recent memory. And of the, of the countries in the G7, the other countries that were dealing with inflation, that were dealing with the problems post-COVID, dealing with the challenges of the war, we have the best recovery of any of them. And we're setting records for domestic oil and renewable production of, of, of energy of both types, both the, the, crew, the um, fossil fuels and renewable energy, $130 billion in student debt forgiven. It's just it's a great period of time. The um, there's a I, I saw Larry Kudlow on his show was interviewing this guy Kevin O'Leary, the Shark Tank guy, and listen how excited he was. Kevin O'Leary, cut to. I'm excited, Larry. We got the juice in printing money. We've got the Fed slowing down. We've got the soft landing. We've got broadening of the S and P 500 and the S and P 500, and obviously the Russell 2000. This is a fantastic holiday season. <laughs> Rudolph the reindeer has arrived. Yeah, for Festivus. Yeah, so the, so the economy is doing really well. I know that it's it's hard. Like, I know we do a lot of politics and people. I mean, it's good news for everyone. And some, you know, I've heard a couple of people, and Larry said it a little. You know, it's Biden's Fed is trying to do it because it's an election year. First of all, it's not an election year. Next year is the election year, and I don't care. I want. I want. I want. Of politicians to want to make things better for the rest of us because they want to get reelected. That's kind of the way it's supposed to work. So I'm glad that it is. And once again, we're seeing, I don't want to get provocative here right at the top of the show, but once again, we're seeing that, you know, when Democrats are in office, the economy does pretty well. Don't you agree, Donald Trump? And it just seems that the economy does better under the Democrats than the Republicans. Now, it shouldn't be that way, but we've had some pretty bad disaster under the Republicans. Yeah, I agree with that guy. He and I are so close. We're such close buddies. Anyway, it's great to, to have you along. Um, we're going to do do some stuff about the latest in Eretz Israel and the war in Gaza. Probably do that in the second hour. Usually I do the legal stuff in the second hour, but we're going to do that in um, – we're going to do that in the second hour, the legal stuff up, up top. By the way, Curtis is going to be coming in at 4 o'clock. I'll be here until 4 o'clock alone, and then Curtis will be coming in for left first. We have a lot to cover. He wants to talk about reparations. So do I. He wants to talk about these new laws that the city council wants to pass on solitary confinement and on police keeping more records. So do I. And he didn't mention he wanted to talk about this. I want to talk about Chick-fil-A gate. Chick-fil-A has the restaurants on the thruway. And if you remember during the summer, I was trying to figure out how I was going to get lunch for Jordan on the way up and that it was on a Sunday and Chick-fil-A was closed because it's their policy to be closed. And now this, the state legislature is saying, if you want to be on the on our throughway rest stops, you've got to be open seven days a week. You can't, you know, that's part of the deal is that people travel all seven days. But it's caused a lot of controversy because part of the reason Chick-fil-A is not open on Sundays for religious reasons. They believe in that that's the, their day of Sabbath and they believe in 
in giving their workers the Sabbath day off. And, and that is totally cool. I totally respect that. But this is where, you know, if you, 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 you can't, you shouldn't have the concession in my view, but that's another issue. 800 wabc 800 wabc at gmail.com. All right, so let's get into it. You know, it's looking here at the end of the year, and I'm not going to do my full year-end thing. I'm going to do that next week. You know, I did a bunch of predictions this time last year. I'm going to look back at them next week. We're going to see how they did, how smart, prescient I was, and we're going to go over some of those. But this week I want to talk to about, like, how much of 2024 – is going to be the year of the Supreme Court. <laughs> it's it's an election, a presidential election year, which should absolutely dominate the news. But so much of this is winding up in the Supreme Court. You've got this issue that has to be decided. The January six rioters, over eleven hundred of them, it's like eight hundred of them were charged with obstruction of justice, obstruction of a governmental proceeding, rather. And they have to decide whether that was the right application of that law. It was written as a Banking law, a banking corruption law under, under something called Sarbanes-Oxley. And um, it's been a law that says you can't obstruct um, a, a proceeding of government by filing a false document, lying on a form, or any other means. And so Jack Smith and, and, um, and a lot in the prosecution and the, and the Justice Department prosecuting the January 6th cases has been using that a lot. The Supreme Court has to decide if that's the right application of that. At least one court said, actually only one court said, that no, that's not the right application of that. It was not meant to be used for that. But this is one of those cases that the law is, is plainly written, and, the, and unless the courts want to rewrite it, it does say, or any other means. Then they, the, they, the court has to decide this issue of presidential immunity. You heard James Flippin just report, and you've heard that the Supreme Court has said, we're not going to jump in here early. But they are going to have to get in. President Trump is making an argument that because he's president of the United States, that he's immune from prosecution not only when he's in office, which is the policy. You don't prosecute a president when he's in because he's got to be able to do the job. But also when he's out, if it's for something he did as an official, you know, he interprets as an official job. Now, I haven't read anyone and I read their briefs. Even their briefs are kind of silly. Say that the president of the United States does not get a forever get out of jail free card. But still, the Supreme Court does have to rule on that. They said they're not going to jump in early. But the good news is the district court said they are get, they are asking for briefs as soon as the week after next. So they're moving forward quickly. Eventually, that's going to reach the Supreme Court. I don't think they're going to grant Donald Trump what he wants, but they are going to have to rule on that. It's going to be a big deal. There's a big decision that has to be ruled on by the Supreme Court about whether states – or the federal government, whether states can ban the use of the abortion pill within their state. Something like two-thirds of abortions are done medicated. And what if someone, what if it's illegal to use the pill in Texas, but someone gets it from New York, brings it into Texas, they basically have to rule on, on that. And that's going to be a very big case. And, and you've heard me talk about the impact that abortion was going to have has had on every election up to now, and it's going to continue in the future. And now we are almost certain, and I say we're metaphysically certain, that we're going to see this case about the 14th Amendment and Donald Trump being struck from the ballot in Colorado. 
Now, Steve Moore just had a guest on, if you just tuned in. He had a guest on earlier who made a couple of important mistakes about this case. And let's just, what this comes down to is, does the Constitution mean what it says? Does the 14th Amendment, Section 3, still exist? Is it still something that we need and have? Now, if you are someone that believes in the words in the Constitution, this is not that hard a case. The state of Colorado, the state of New York, the state of New Jersey, the state of Massachusetts, every state administers its own elections. They are perfectly within their right to say, listen, it doesn't do us any good as part of administration of our elections if we let people on the ballot who are not allowed to be there. So if someone wants to get on the ballot in New York for president of the United States – and they're 25 years old and they're not yet 35, it is the right of New York to say, no, we're not going to put you on our ballot because that's going to confuse voters. It's going to make things unclear and it's going to prejudice other candidates. If someone wants to be on the ballot in Montana, who um, has not been a resident of the United States for 14 years, which is written in the Constitution, they don't have to put them on the ballot. They don't have to do that. And so another provision like that that's in the Constitution, it's in the Constitution, is Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which said that that a person who have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof is not eligible to be on the ballot. That's just what the Constitution says. So when people said Colorado is knocking him off the ballot, no, he didn't qualify to be a candidate. No more than Arnold Schwarzenegger did. No more than, I don't know. How old are you, Christian? I'm 30. You're 30. So Christian, who's working the board today, is not eligible to be. No more than he's eligible to be president. And so why does this exist? Why does this 14th Amendment? And, and just so you understand, it doesn't say, and Steve Moore was very perplexed by this, it doesn't say convicted of insurrection or convicted of rebellion. Remember, this was put into the Constitution as part of Reconstruction after the Revolutionary War. Hundreds of thousands of Confederate soldiers, of Confederate officers, of insurrectionists were not put on trial. I just want to say that again. We're not put on trial. But when Congress, under Republicans, frankly, when Congress reconvened and say, how do we make sure this never happens again? We say, we're not going to go round these people up and have trials. Robert E. Lee didn't have a trial. We are going to say that anyone who engaged in insurrection or rebellion or given aid or comfort to enemies thereof cannot be on the ballot to serve in the, in the officer of the state be a member of the state legislature, in the executive or judicial officer of any state, um, um, uh, um, or any officer in the military. You couldn't do that anymore. That's the way, that's why they wrote the thing. So does Colorado have the right to do it? Of course they do. So is he going to be on the ballot? Yeah, he is, and I think he should be. I think it's clear, knowing the Supreme Court, 
This is a far more partisan Supreme Court than the one in 2000 that decided the election for George W. Bush. These guys are way more partisan, so they're not going to take them off the ballot. But I'll tell you what they're also not going to do, in my humble opinion. They're not going to say he didn't engage in insurrection or engage in rebellion or give an aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. There's no way. Insurrection, and I'm going to read you from the decision. Oh, and by the way, it's also it wasn't another thing that, that a guest in a previous show said. This was a four to three decision. The three dissenters all agreed he committed insurrection. So all seven agreed with that. And by the way, they had a trial about this. It was a five-day trial in Colorado where people were free to present evidence on both sides. And as the court wrote in this decision, the Supreme Court of Colorado, is it insurrection by any definition would encompass a concerted effort to hinder the U.S. government from taking actions necessary for a peaceful transfer of power? As the evidence showed, President Trump did not merely incite the insurrection. Even when the siege of the Capitol was fully underway, he continued to support it by repeatedly demanding the Vice President Pence refuse to perform his constitutional duty and calling on Senate, calling senators to persuade them to stop the counting. Their actions constant, these actions constitute overt, voluntary, and direct participation in the insurrection. There's no, there's no requirement that there be a trial. However, I will say this. I think that the Supreme Court is going to overturn this and put him on the ballot. I don't think that that's a stretch. And when we come back, I'm going to explain why. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is the middle 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Great to have you along on this somewhat gray Christmas Eve Eve festivist for some people. It's great to have you along. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Parker back in time, and we're doing that a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, we're doing that a little bit on this show, because we're talking about the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment goes back, I guess the 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868, it goes back quite a ways. And here's the challenge that's faced by the Supreme Court, and faced by this Supreme Court especially. If you believe that the Constitution of the United States, that all of it, with the exception of prohibition, which was overturned by a subsequent uh, um, amendment, if you believe that this that the in the originalist text of the Constitution, it includes all of it. 
And this one is not that hard. I mean, this idea that the 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 lower court in Colorado ruled that, well, it doesn't apply to presidents. <laughs> That's just on its face. Preposterous if you put yourself in the shoes of anyone trying to write this constitutional amendment to make sure that insurrectionists were not allowed back into government, back into positions of power ever again. There was no way they would leave out the president. Obviously, they mean him from when they say that um, any uh, any officer of the United States. So if you are a Alito or you're a Thomas and you're just in the tank for for Donald Trump, you have a real problem on your hands because you've also said when ruling on gun laws, for example, and ruling on abortion laws, for example, you've just got to take the Constitution as it's written. And it doesn't say you've got to be convicted of anything. That's utterly, from a historical perspective, completely ahistorical because they didn't have a bunch of trials. They did this instead of a trial. And some people say, well, wait a minute, Congress had to implement this. No, I'm going to read you what it says. Actually, you know what I'll do? I'll read you the entire text if it's not that long. No person shall be a senator, representative in Congress, or elector of president and vice president, or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state, who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States, that's the president, or as a member of the state legislature, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. And here's the part that shows for clearly that it didn't have to be Congress doing this, automatic. But Congress may, by a two-thirds vote of each, remove such disability. Meaning, the Founding Fathers said, you're automatically excluded, but Congress can put you back in if they want. And they can. They can put Donald Trump back in if they want. So if you are on the court right now and you've huffed and puffed about originalism when, when take striking down gun laws, when you've huffed and puffed about textualism when talked about abortion because abortion isn't mentioned in the, in the Constitution, you're stuck. And some, some commentators who are, who, are, who are real, who should know better, have been like, oh my goodness, this is anti-democratic. This is one of the most anti-democratic decisions we have seen in American history. It is the most undemocratic decision imaginable. Very undemocratic. Anti-democratic. Anti-democratic. By the way, the second voice you heard was uh, Alan Dershowitz, college professor at Harvard. It's not undemocratic to say Arnold Schwarzenegger can't be president. It's just the rules of the road that he's not a citizen, therefore he can't be. It's not undemocratic to say that that Jordan, who just turned 12, happy birthday, Jordan, that he can't be president. It's in the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't guarantee that we can choose whoever we want whenever we want. It's not undemocratic to say that we're only going to vote once every four years and it's going to be the first Tuesday following the first Monday. Not everyone. It's not the way this works. We have rules. But I did say before we went to the break that there is a way 
And I think it's the strongest argument against this decision and one that allows the Supreme Court to kind of slither out of the way here. And they're going to. And I kind of think that they should. My view is that the only way to finally resolve this issue about whether or not we were going to we are going to hold accountable people who try to overturn our government is by defeating them with the powers of democracy. I think that's the better way to do it. That doesn't mean the courts have no role. I'm just saying that that's the ultimate that's the ultimate way. I want to see Americans stand up for this. Okay. But how is it that the Supreme Court manages to get out from under this? I think they can say you know what? We're not going to rule on whether or not Donald Trump is an insurrectionist, whether he's committed the things that make him eligible to be removed. We're not going to go through all these different sections where it say, you know, and I can read them all to you, where they had a five-day trial about whether or not he did these things, whether he engaged in insurrection or rebellion against same or given aid and comfort to the enemies thereof. I think what they might be able to do, the court, is to say that Donald Trump did not get sufficient due process with that five-day trial, meaning they may send back to the courts. Now, they're going to have to offer some ground rules because if they just say he needs more due process, they can't just say go back and try to figure it out because then every court will say, well, that means we just have a tri- we have to go have a trial ourselves to try to determine if Donald Trump is eligible. It seems like it's still out there. They have to throw it back in a way that to some degree puts a nail in the coffin here. So I think that's probably the way they do it. But I want to tell you, if you are someone that has ever called into this radio station, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, and said, read the Constitution the way it's written, use the common language of the time, don't try to put new meanings into it, there's no right to... There's no right to privacy in the Constitution. Don't write it in there. There's no right to bodily autonomy. Don't write it in there. If you're one of those people, under Section 3, under under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, there's really not a lot of question. I mean, the way the thing is written, Colorado – and by the way, I read the, the whole 144-page decision – it's really a good historical thing and it's got plenty of substance and it's good. And, and remember, it was a four to three decision. The three did not say Trump didn't commit insurrection. What they said is some version of what I just said about the due process. Like it's not sufficient due process protections. Basically, they said we don't know how to have a trial on whether insurrection or rebellion against the same or giving aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Since there's no precedent for that, there's not, you know – they, they said, for example, what standard do you use? Do you use preponderance of the evidence? Do you – like what standard? And, and that's to me, I think, a reasonable point. That's about all I can think of you can hang your hat on. So that's where we are at that. So let's go to some calls. And as I said, in the, in the second hour, I'm going to talk a little bit about Israel and a little bit about the state of the Democratic Party as it relates to this. But first, let's uh, let's get it started. Let's go to Tim from Connecticut. Hey, Tim, welcome. Yeah. So, using your logic, why can't I say that by giving money to the Iranians, a country who's given money to Hamas and others to overthrow the United States as well as Israel, 
that Biden's aided and abetted our enemies and disqualify him. For well, that without putting without stipulating to the facts in question, let's take that hypothetical. The hypothetical about he made bad policy decisions that were that were within his power. If you wanted to have a trial and say, does that count as engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or give an aid and comfort to the enemies thereof under under uh, the 14th Amendment? Are, um, section three, I suppose you could. It's ahistorical to to believe that that's what the founding fathers were writing about aid to Iran when they wrote that. It was about people trying to stop the 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 transfer of power. It was about people storming the Capitol. It is about egging on other people to storm the Capitol. It is about threatening the vice president. These are the things that I think they were talking about. You know, the Biden could be impeached. You want to impeach him? They're already doing that. If you want to say we impeach him because there's some policy decision that he made with regard to Iran, you can do it. This is a different kettle of fish. This is whether or not he engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same. And I haven't heard anyone even argue that. Adam and Mineola. Go ahead, Adam. Welcome back. How you doing, sir? Well, thank you. You know, I, I've been listening to uh, Merry Christmas too. I've been listening to uh, you know some shows on on this network, and they seem to think like Trump won something real big. Like Trump finally won something in Supreme Court, and they got him, and he ain't gonna have to go to trial until after the election and all this. And I'm telling them they, they the the appellate court still got that case. Well, yeah. Well, that's a different case than one we're talking about. Thank you, Adam. It actually is, and it is a very interesting issue. Not the issue of whether or not whether or not Donald Trump is immune from prosecution and he has some kind of immunity. He doesn't, and the courts will rule that way eventually. What was interesting about the Supreme Court not taking this case is Jack Smith never explained in his petition why he wanted the Supreme Court to hurry this up. Now, you and I. My dear listener, you know why he wanted them to hurry this up. They wanted them to hurry this up because he wants to make sure they can do this trial before the 2024 election. Because if President Trump gets elected, then you can't prosecute a president and then the the trial has to wait until 2029. And who knows? You might not have witnesses. But if he says that, then Donald Trump is going to say, you see, they are trying to interfere in the election. They're in a hurry to get this done before the election. He's caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. But Adam's not wrong. A court is going to rule. The Court of Appeals is going to rule. Donald Trump does not have immunity on this. And then I would argue what probably happens is the Supreme Court doesn't hear it. It's such a BS argument. I mean, I can't even I can't I can't with a straight face say that there's any argument that we have the whole way we constructed our government is is to not want a king that is immune from prosecution. And remember, Donald Trump and his lawyers were the same people that say, you can't prosecute us while we're in office. Don't do the impeachment, just do the prosecution afterwards. And now that's happening. It's it's not going to happen. But Adam's not wrong. It's an interesting, it's not the end of that case. It is a minor victory for Donald Trump, just the Supreme Court said, no, we're going to let this go the normal pace. And that means that everything is going to start getting a little bit later. We'll be back with some more calls, and uh, we hope you can join us. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Nick is taking your calls. Christian on the board. I'm Anthony Weiner. So great to have you along.
It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Welcome back to the middle. That is Green Day bringing her back in, American Idiot. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're talking a little bit about the Constitution of the United States. Hey, one of the things I have to say, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I've pointed that out a few times. I did serve on the Judiciary Committee in the House of Representatives. Kind of like the way wars kind of teach us about geography and geopolitical stuff and history so many of these Donald Trump cases have led us to kind of go back and reset the table a little bit in our minds about how our system of government works. When people say, you know, Donald Trump didn't do it or he didn't mean to do it or they're staff to get him, you know, we have trials. He's going to have a chance. He's presumed innocent until proven guilty. And in the case of this, you know, this is kind of what, This, what the Colorado Supreme Court did, is a surprise, but not in the sense that it is outside the realm of some, like, some novel theory. It's a surprise. They just read the Constitution and said, we're going to apply it without fear or favor. We're just going to do it no matter how upsetting it is to people and how traumatic it might be. Now, I don't believe the Supreme Court, this is the most political Supreme Court in American history. I don't believe they're going to let it stand. Although I have to tell you something. I don't, you know, if you really, if this Supreme Court wants to really do a favor for the Republican Party and wants to do a favor for America, just do their job and read the Constitution and uphold it. Now, I, as a Democrat, I'm torn because I'm, I'm pretty sure we can beat Donald Trump. I don't think that Joe Biden can beat Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or whatever. I think mean, Donald Trump probably is the only guy Joe Biden can beat. Who knows? I mean, the polls don't look great right now. I'm just saying. So, so here it is. We're getting a little history lesson. So when people say, well, he didn't stand trial, yeah, well, that's – we didn't do trial. That was a strategy. It was a decision that was made to kind of start the healing as quickly as possible. One thing that these Republicans that wrote this section, they said, we're just going to make sure they never get into position to do this again. And that's what – this is pretty plain. This is just plain. You can't do it. Now, if you want to say, okay, he didn't engage in insurrection – I mean, that's what Robert in Suffolk, I think, wants to say. Robert, go ahead, pal. Anthony. Hi, Robert. Hi, Anthony. Uh, where is the evidence? Now, I believe that the correct reading 
of the Constitution would be that the intent of Congress was that the vice president and the office of president were specifically excluded so that the party in power could not unlawfully retain power, thereby eviscerating the office of the executive branch. But why would they, why would a group of men, they're all men, who are concerned about letting the insurrectionists back into power say, if Robert E. Lee ran for president, it's okay. That takes zero sense. It doesn't. But as far as the evidence, I'm being being, um, rhetorical. It doesn't, Robert. I mean, the theory just makes no sense if you look at the history. They wanted to make sure the guy couldn't take power, and they're certainly not going to say, okay, president is okay. They just say, and you know, an an, an officer of the United States, of course it includes presidency. And if you look at all of the writing and the debates about the amendment, they all include references to the president. But in terms of the evidence, look, you can read the January 6th report if you want. You don't have to. You can just read... You can just read what the court wrote, and maybe people disagree with this, but does insurrection encompass a concerted and public effort to hinder the government from taking the actions necessary to accomplish a peaceful transfer of power? Well, that's clearly what Donald Trump did. The court goes on to say, as our detailed recitation of the evidence evidence shows, President Trump did not merely incite the insurrection— Even when the siege on the Capitol was fully underway, he continued to support it by repeatedly demanding that Vice President Pence refuse to perform his constitutional duty and by calling senators, and this is all stuff that's in the record, it's not disputed, to persuade them to stop the counting of electoral votes. These actions constituted overt, voluntary, and direct participation in the insurrection. The court continues, we agree that President Trump intended that his speech would result in the use of violence or lawless actions on January 6th to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. Despite his knowledge of the anger that he had instigated, his call to arms, his awareness of the threats of violence that had been made leading up to January 6th, and the obvious fact that many of the crowds were angry and armed, President Trump told his riled-up supporters to walk down the Capitol and fight. He then stood back and let the fighting happen, despite having ability and the authority to stop it thereby confirming that this violence was what he intended. That's just a couple of little sections that I pulled out of there. You can read the whole January 6th. You can watch and just put January 6th in, in your, put you know, ask the 120 police officers that were injured. It doesn't, Robert E. Lee might not have shot anybody. I actually don't know the history of Lee very well. But you can't say that he didn't, he didn't aid the, and what about the idea, and this wasn't, I don't know if this was mentioned in the court brief. What about the idea that he said he's going to pardon the other enemies, um, the other enemies thereof, the other people that engaged in insurrection and rebellion? That's aid and comfort, isn't it? I don't think it's that hard a case on the facts. What is hard is this question that I mentioned. And by the way, I don't believe he should be taken off the ballot. Because I think he I think the only way that we heal as a country is if he's defeated for a second time. A third time if you count the popular vote against Hillary. I think that's the only way we get back from this people are vermin and they're spoiling the blood of our country and all that kind of stuff. And by the way, I mean, 
I don't need to remind this audience this. How did Donald Trump begin running for office? Not coming down that escalator, but years before, saying that Barack Obama was not eligible to be on the ballot. <laughs> There's a, a little bit of irony here, you got to admit. Saying that Barack Obama was not a naturally born citizen of the United States and he was therefore not eligible. That was how this all started with him. That's, that was Donald Trump's original, original sin. And now here we are. Oh, by the way, you know who else? I didn't get this cut queued up. You know who else he said should not be allowed to run? Anthony Weiner. Yeah. Hillary Clinton. It's his thing. So, but I do think that there is a reasonable, I read the dissents, the dissents in this case. And I do think that there is a case to be made that although they had a five-day trial about this question and all seven of the, the lower court and all seven of the higher court judges in Colorado all agreed that he was eligible to be knocked off the ballot because he engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid and comfort to the enemies thereof. They all agreed with that. But it is a kind of a question about unlike how you confirm how the state of Colorado confirmed that he was old enough to be on the ballot and that he was a citizen, that how they confirm this is a due process question that I think the Supreme Court will say you've got to go back and have a trial with these different elements included. Like a stand for example, just what's the standard? We know that the standard in a criminal case is that beyond a reasonable doubt you've got to prove the case. I think in this case it was a preponderance of the evidence. So I think that's where the Supreme Court is going to hang their hat, so to speak, when they overturn this. And again, just to reiterate where my position is, I think as a matter of the letter of the law under the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, if you believe that the Constitution is to be read based on the words that are in it and all of it still counts, with the exception of the 19th and 21st Amendments, which repealed liquor and then which prohibited liquor and then repealed it if you think that all of the laws all of the constitution you read and if you think you read the words and if you think you read the intent of the words there's no question it's an easy one and the only question then becomes implementation like how do you you know how do you decide how do you decide these things you don't need a trial in the sense that you don't need to have convicted him of that. That you'd have to insert an extra clause in the Constitution. I see no way the court does that. And so if you have to and have and, and I think that it's reasonable to ask for that kind of standard. So a previous caller can't say, you know, can't say, Oh yeah, I think you engaged in insurrection because I don't like your immigration policies. But you can do that. I bet you there have even been suits like that, that people have tried to bring suits to knock people off the ballot for that. And when we come back, we'll wrap up with a few more calls. And then at the top of the hour, we talk a little about the latest going on in Israel and Gaza and how Democratic progressives are trying to be, in 2024, what this guy Gates was to Republicans in 2023. This is The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. We'll see you on the other side.
finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Welcome back to The Middle. That's Harry Styles. Treat people with kindness. A good advice for this year. I'm going to be here until 4 o'clock. Curtis Lee will come in. And then next week, I'm going to be doing some fill-ins. The good thing about the holiday for someone like me, who's kind of like on the farm team here as a weekend guy, I get to do some fill-ins. You can do some fill-ins overnight with um, Dominic a couple of nights. And then I'm going to be doing, I think Dominic also during the day, I'm doing some fill-ins during the day. I think Dominic and I are going to be like a thing. Or I think Curtis and I might be doing some shows. I got to just, you know, we're going to be here live and local the whole time. Curtis always talks about how if you look the rest of the dial, it's a lot of best ofs and canned productions. Not here, man. Sure, it's the B team, but I'm going to be bringing it. It's a good opportunity for me. Anytime I get a chance to kind of fill in and to, and to talk to a different audience – First, there's a little bit of a feeling out process that takes place, just like it took place here. This is the 92nd episode, I believe. And then I think people get engaged. They don't agree with me sometimes, a lot of times, but I think people do get engaged and it turns out to be a good conversation. And um, we're going to have plenty of time in the year to come, God willing, if we're all healthy and we're here and hopefully we are. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about these different legal cases because they just keep springing up. And the reason they keep springing up is that the legal system is where we go to have issues that are mediated that our political system hasn't worked out. And this is a classic example, right, that the the courts say we don't want to make – the constitution is clearly written about this. And now it's a function of interpreting how it impacts something that was written in 1868, how it impacts something in 2024. And there are a lot of people who say, okay, it's a living document. Maybe it shouldn't anymore. Maybe we can just forget that. There are people that say talking about the gun laws and the same as in the 1700s as they are in 2024 makes no sense. But in a way, insurrection, trying to overturn our government, trying to blows against democracy – are they all that different now than they were then? Is it? Is it insurrection? Kind of insurrection? Okay, it might look different, but I mean, this is ultimately we need a constitution to protect these things. And we have rules in the constitution about how things can and can't be done. Let's go to Ralph in Westchester. Hey, Ralph, 
Welcome. Yeah, I uh, find your opinions very close to fact very often, and you have a very soothing voice. You do very well, but this is not was not an insurrection. Nobody, and the President of the United States could have ordered the military to get involved if he wanted to. Instead, some people ran around with flags breaking things. The only person that actually got killed in that was that protesting woman who went through a window and was shot by a cop who was under no danger. Anyway. What about the 120 police officers who were injured? Well, the people got injured because of fighting, yes. What do you mean and about fighting? Wait, fighting? Wait a minute. No, 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 no. When someone assaults a police officer, that's not fighting. Riots where they burned down buildings. They built down. They destroyed police cars. Well, they, let's let's just do one thing at a time. Let's just stick to the issue at hand. When you you say it's fighting, when you attack a police officer with an iron pole and bear mace, is that just fighting? They that wasn't an insurrection. Well, he hold on a second. But but let me. What do you call it when a police officer is defending the United States Capitol? His back is to the United States Capitol, and in front of him are people attacking him with iron bars and bear mace. What do you call it? I call it. A riot. Okay, a riot with what intent? They were just mad. All well, right, their, but what was their intent? I'll tell you what they did. They kept the process from going forward. There were people in the Senate and in the House who were going to present the president's arguments if it had been approved. Wait, the by president's. The House. Hold on a second, Ralph. Hold on a second. Let's just do one thing at a time. The first thing we've got to establish is that the that that people in the United States cannot, with bars and bear mace, attack and overrun law uh, police officers to get into the Capitol to try to stop the transfer of government. That is the dictionary definition of an insurrection. Agree or disagree, Ralph? No. Do you, Do you really believe in any way somebody running around in there banging? If they got into a fight with the cops, some of them got in fight with cops. Some of them were invited in by the It cops. wasn't a fight. Any video, just Google January 6th video and just see. It wasn't a fight. There were police officers with their back to the Capitol and thousands of people. Now over 1,100 people have now pleaded guilty to, and 120 cops were injured. And with bear, with bear mace and with bars and with knives, this and what was their intent? And their intent was to stop the lawful transition of power. Ralph just said it, that that was their objective to do. And, and by the way, to state the Donald Trump's arguments, that's obstructing justice. That was not the time or place for that. That was in the courts that had already ruled. And who egged them on? Donald Trump. Who did nothing to stop them? Is sitting and watching on television. Donald Trump. Who said... You know, who incited people to go after the vice president, Donald Trump? You can read the January 6th committee or you can read the Supreme Court, the Colorado Supreme Court, or you can just open your eyes and watch the video with the sound off. I mean, the next time someone calls up here and says crime is up, I'm going to say, oh, it's just people fighting with the cops. No, no, no. That was a riot. That was in the pursuit of, of stopping government from operating, which makes it an insurrection which makes it obstruction of government proceedings, which makes it offensive to everything that our country stands for.
And for those of you who have not been watching the news and not keeping up on what happened in 2020, this was after 60, 68 court cases. Every single state had certified its election. Every state had, had chosen its electors. It was a matter now of just the transfer of power. So insurrection happened. And Donald Trump egged it on. When we come back, we're going to switch it up a little bit, talk about the Middle East. And we want you to be part of that as well. 800-848-9222. Anthony Weiner, this is The Middle. Stay tuned for Hour 2. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. There's a couple song bathing on a fisherman lawn in England. It's a house with a view and all you see is green and blue for miles. The local figure has pretended that the church is well attended this morning. As he wanders with a purpose to the Sunday service, he smiles. And welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That is the House Martins, the world's on fire. True words have never been spoken, it seems. Christian's on the board. Kevin is supervising things. Nick's taking your calls at 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, WienerWABC at gmail.com. Um, we're here until 4 o'clock. Curtis Lee comes in at 4 o'clock. We're going to talk a little bit about reparations. We're going to talk a little bit about... This requirement, they want to have the police take more, record more information when they do stops. We also, uh, if you miss any part of the show, we have this as a podcast that comes out shortly after. Somehow Kevin does his magic and it comes out in the form of a podcast. You can always subscribe to that. That's a good way for people to hear about the radio show. And I also do a podcast in the middle of the week called The Middle Unplugged. And this week I do a little bit of a report card where I go back and I look at some of the predictions, takes, ideas that I had over the last year on the podcast. And I try to own own mistakes that I make, and I try to take a little victory dance for things that I got right. You can listen to that. It's also a good way, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, it's a little bit of a stroll through the past year. Spy balloons, stuff like that. We cover some ground there. So we encourage you to download and subscribe to the Middle Unplugged episode 61, which is now... In your feed. Also, the Red Apple Podcast Network is a great way to get other shows that are here on the on the station, and also some products and um, programs that are available only on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So, we're talking uh, a little bit in the first hour about the legal news of the day in the Fourteenth Amendment. I want to broaden a little bit to the continuing conflagration in the Middle East, the war against Hamas. It seems like it is from the perspective of of ridding the world of Hamas, there's progress in the perspective of support for Israel. It's getting more and more dire every day, not only internationally, um, where it's never been. Israel has never had much public support. 
but out here domestically as well. But speaking about internationally, here, I wanted to read a statement. This is the Secretary General of the United Nations. And I want to read you a statement that he put out on Twitter. Nothing can possibly justify the horrific attacks launched by Hamas on 7 October or the brutal abduction of some 250 hostages. Excellent statement. The only problem is the date. 22nd of December, 2023. He finally got around to, what's that, like 77 days later, the U.N., Finally gets around the head secretary. Finally gets around to say that obvious thing. And I want to say that I have been watching. I don't know Secretary Blinken at all. I know you know um, Huma was the um, Deputy Secretary of State under Hillary, and obviously I know her very well. And I, I served in Congress under other Secretaries of State. But you know, from the perspective of just see, saying straight declarative things that make a lot of sense, Anthony Blinken has been great. Listen to this, what he said recently when asked about the international pressure. One of the things that's striking to me is that, understandably, everyone would like to see this conflict end as quickly as possible. Uh, but if it ends with Hamas remaining in place uh, and having the capacity and the stated intent to repeat October 7th again and again and again, that's not in the interest of Israel. It's not in the interest of the region. It's not in the interest of the world. And what is striking to me is that even as, again, we hear uh, many countries urging the end to uh, this conflict, which we would all like to see, I hear virtually no one saying, demanding of Hamas that it stop hiding behind civilians that it lay down its arms, that it surrender. This is over tomorrow if Hamas does that. This would have been over a month ago, six weeks ago, if Hamas had done that. And how could it be, how can it be that there are no demands made of the aggressor and only demands made of the victim? Yeah. That is your Secretary of State speaking on behalf of our country. Good for him. That is exactly right. That's exactly the right tone, too. It's like we all want this thing to end. No one doesn't want it to end. No one wants it to begin. But to focus only on the reaction, and he didn't say this. He said the rest of the world. It is not in the interest of the Palestinians for a single Hamas rocket, a single Hamas tunnel, a single Hamas fighter to remain when this thing is done. It's not in the interest of the Palestinians. What is going on in Gaza is a tragedy, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But if you really care about the Palestinians, you want them to be freed from Hamas. But then we have what's going on here domestically. That that guy, Tony Blinken, and his boss, Joe Biden, are getting hammered, not by the normal places, not by the Republicans. Actually, a poll came out this week that said 90% of Republicans disapprove of the way that Joe Biden has done does his job, but only 70% disapprove of the way he's handling. He's actually doing better on how he handles Israel. He's actually gaining some support in that quarter. But the American left, the American progressive whatever, has been bailing on Joe Biden in these recent polls, in giant numbers. 
And if you think about what happened in 2023, where you had a handful of fringe crazies in Congress who basically stopped the Republican Congress from accomplishing anything. It was the least productive Congress in American history. We now are in danger on our side of the fence of 2024 being the year that Joe Biden is thrown out of office because suddenly young people forget their moral bearings, their history or whatever, and say we'd rather have a MAGA Republican in Donald Trump than we would Joe Biden because Joe Biden has been so steadfast in support of Israel. It's pretty crazy. And I think Democrats of all stripes should be standing up and facing their left and saying, hey, you guys are great when you're standing up for health care and when you want, you know, worker rights and stuff like that. That's fine. You're in our tent. But this whole ahistorical, borderline, nihilistic, destructive, we're going to tear down our party because we want to stand up for the Palestinians because we don't understand the history. It's pretty crazy. Now, does it last? I don't know. But you know who's emerged as kind of a little bit of a hero here? And this may come as a surprise to this audience. is John Fetterman of Pennsylvania. Now, Fetterman just got elected. He's a freshman member from Pennsylvania. He got some attention. For those of you who weren't paying that much attention except for these things, he, you know, he wears a hoodie. He had a stroke. So he's kind of known for those things. But before that, he was this progressive guy. He was a, 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 a Bernie Sanders delegate. He was lieutenant governor, I want to say, in Pennsylvania. Was he? Lieutenant governor or something. He was a mayor and then a lieutenant governor, I think. And he's this progressive lefty guy. But kind of like me, and I'm always looking for guys like this for this show, kind of like me, there's a, prag- a pragmatism around him when it comes to things like crime and comes to things like immigration and comes to things like Israel. And, you know, people always say, oh, are you a lefty or a righty? Well, I don't believe it's left or right to support Israel. If you support democracy, you support Israel. If you support people having individual rights and freedoms, you support Israel. If you support, you know, Sheiks and potentates and and dictatorships, okay, that's not your thing. If you support terrorism, all right, they're they're not going to be your thing. But basically, if you're a reasonable person, you support Israel. Not that they can never do anything wrong, not that their leaders are all great. Bibi Netanyahu won't be there this time next year. But Fetterman recently was somewhat provocative, and I don't believe in these things but he says I, I based on what i'm seeing and hearing i don't think he, i being fed him i'm not a progressive and he was asked about it and i'm going to play this cut it's a little bit of a long cut it's like a minute and a half this is jake tapper asking fetterman basically what's wrong with his party in the democratic party particularly among uh, young voters uh, when it comes to israel's war against hamas 72 percent of young voters, according to this new poll, disapprove of how President Biden is handling the Israel-Hamas war. You've been very vocal in your full support for Israel. I see the Israeli flag behind you in your office there. You've been very clearly arguing that Hamas bears responsibility for the tragedy of what's going on 
in Gaza. Why do you think so many younger people, especially in your party, see it differently? I, I really, I really don't, I really don't know. Uh, I, I do know that a lot of people are getting their perspective from TikTok, and I think if you're kind of getting your perspective on the world on TikTok, it's going to tend to be kind of warped or not reflective of the the history and, and actually the way things absolutely are. And what is very clear is is that Hamas started this, and they actually broke the the ceasefire, and they attacked uh, and murdered uh, babies, children, women, uh, attacked a, a music. Uh, uh, concert and everything it's 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 outrageous and from from now on um, it's been very clear that that Israel would very much want there to be peace but they've made it very clear that after October 7th that that's just not possible so long as Hamas is allowed to uh, exist so like if you take Senator Federer look, look this is Senator Federman's Wikipedia page generally described as a progressive and a populist Federman advocates health care as a right Criminal justice reform, abolishing capital punishment, raising the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, legalizing cannabis. So the point that I'm making is that we have apparently this strain of our party, and maybe this is true in the Republican Party too, that is – I don't know. Like I, to say that it's pure is kind of a misnomer because I think that – I think Fetterman is right about those things. I think Fetterman is right to be for a higher minimum wage and right to support Israel. And by the way, he goes on in that interview to talk about, like, look, reasonable immigration reform, that's not a conservative thing. That's a mainstream American thing. And that's so it's a little bit. And now, by the way, he is facing, you know, Fetterman dead to me was trending on Twitter or whatnot because of young people like, oh, my God, I can't believe I supported this guy. You supported him against someone way worse in, in on, on 99% of the issues you care about. And yet instead of us kind of being at a place where younger voters are like, hmm, maybe, I, maybe I'm being led by Fetterman. Maybe he's leading me, which he is. It seems like voters want to punish people like him and, and punish Joe Biden. If you look at the, the bad polls that Biden has now at the end of the year, and they are historically bad – they're worse than George W. Bush had after Katrina. It is not among Republicans. It is not even among independents. It's among Democrats, particularly young Democrats, particularly young Democrats of color. They're leaving Joe Biden and guys like Fetterman. And this is why when people sometimes say to me, Anthony, you should get back in there. You're a good politician. And I tell them, no, I've got challenges with addiction and I and I, I committed acts that I am I, I still feel that I've got to make amends for etc cetera, etc cetera. one of the things I should also say to them is I can't survive in this Democratic Party if being for national health care for criminal justice reform against capital punishment raising the minimum wage legalizing marijuana and you also support the 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 the, the, the progressive Democratic country of Israel, if that last thing disqualifies you because when your people are attacked by terrorists, by terrorist people who, who, who commit se- sexual violence and, and, and rape and torture, and you stand up for Israel's right to kill those people, you're somehow now not accepted in the Democratic Party? Let's go to some calls. 
Let's go to Tom to Woodridge. Hey, Tom, thanks for hanging on. Hey, hey good afternoon, uh, Anthony. Uh, so very briefly, with regards to the uh, Middle East, what's going on in Gaza? Hey, Tom, Tom, Yemen? Tom, can I stop you here? Tom, are you banned on other shows? Banned? Uh, I would not say banned. Well, actually, yes. Which ones? Uh, overnight, but I don't really listen, but the Frank Morano show. Why, why, why were you, why were you banned from those shows? I have no idea. I mean, he might be somewhat capricious. Uh, you know, these bands usually are, uh, you know, because if you're accepted on other shows and, you know, some one host decides not to take your calls, hey, I mean, <laughs> they're entitled to do that. I think it's wrong. But what is there every- something now? Weren't you also banned on Dominic's show for a while? Uh, that I'm not sure. I don't think I was, but definitely Frank Morano. Got it. But we're, we're, we're wasting, we're wasting time. Well, it's uh, not so really a waste of time. Cause here's, here's why I also, it seems like you call in under different names and I'm just want to kind of, I'm new at this. I'm still only done this for a year. Is that because you think I might not want you on the air under one name, but I will on another name? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, uh, it's, it's it's pretty much. I'm, I'm, sometimes I forget to keep my consistent moniker. What is your uh, so, What is your actual God? What did your What did your parents actually name you? Well, I'm not going to divulge that. Uh, let's stick to style. I don't. I don't need. Page. I don't need your last name. I just want to know your first name. Mine's Anthony. What's your first name? So I can know what to call you. Tom. I don't think your name is actually Tom. I mean, here's the thing. So I I get this every once in a while. Um, I get notes from – I just want people who when they call in and they want to have a conversation that they give their actual name. That's like a reasonable thing a reasonable thing to, to ask for, isn't it? I don't know. Let's go to George in Port – it doesn't say – well, I'm going to say Port Washington. Where are you from, George? Port Jefferson. Port Jefferson. Forgive me. Hi, Anthony. Uh, this is George, the court clerk. By the way, when Curtis comes in – Wish him Merry Christmas. I arraigned him many years ago. It was funny in the in the arraignment part. Him and Carlos Santana. They lived on the alphabet land, but I didn't call about that. And by the way, condolences on your dad. I think I may have come across him when I worked in Brooklyn. I used to there was a lot more more than one wiener who was a lawyer from Brooklyn. But that's anyway, that's for sure. But hurry up and get to your point. We're, we're up against the break. Okay. Um, I don't think at this point I want. I was support Israel. I, I'm happy they're doing what they're doing. But I think back. In Germany, they, we killed a lot of Nazis, and even today, Nazism exists. My point is there, I don't know, you know, even if they kill a lot more people, they're not going to kill the idea. Bullets and guns don't kill ideas. The ideas live on. I don't know what I'm What I'm saying is I really don't know if they should keep bombing the way they're doing. I, I, I'm just torn about it. I was, at first, I wanted them to nuke the place. But now, after this is all over, they're still going to be Hamas. They can't kill every one of them because they're in with the people. That's my comment. And happy holiday. I don't know what you think about it. Well, George, I got to tell you, uh, I think, and this is, you know what, maybe I should just answer on, on the other side of the break, but that was a very wise call. And people who are true supporters and lovers, and by the way, thank you for the kindness uh, about my dad, people who are true supporters of Israel, who truly love Israel and truly see it in their in their very essence that her existence and survival. Well, look, I'll be honest with you. One of the reasons I got into politics and ran for Congress was because of that motivation of to be someone to 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 defend 
our friendship, our, our partnership with Israel and Israel's right to exist. We know that ultimately there's a tomorrow. Israel's not going away. This is not an existential moment for Israel. In past wars it was, not this one. But what the future looks like living side by side with an equal number of people who are living in the West Bank and Gaza, who are living under at least the legal control of Israel, is untenable. These people must be, we must have a path that allows these two peoples, the, the, the Jews and the Palestinians, to live side by side. And when we get back, I'll go into a little bit about what that might look like. It's not easy. 800-84-WABC. This is The Middle. We'll see you on the other side. to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. What's your plan for tomorrow? Are you a leader? Oh, will you follow? Are you a fighter? Or will you cower? It's our time to take back the power. What's your plan for tomorrow? Are you a leader? Or will you follow? Are you a fighter? Or will you cower? It's our time to take back the power. What you gonna do when they show up in black suits? On your street and I'm mid boots. And then silence you. What you gonna say? Strip your rights away And the tax man makes you pay And welcome back to the middle One of the great political anthems of Recent years, take back the power by the interrupters, 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. We talked about Reconstructionist America, the 14th Amendment, Donald Trump in the first hour. We're talking about the political challenges Democrats face in dealing with their left on Israel in the year 2024 to come. And before we broke, there was a, there was a legitimate, heartfelt question, which is a totally reasonable one, about how does Israel set up for what comes next? And the problem is that there is just not a great answer because if Israel could, if their Knesset could, if their leadership could snap their fingers and say, okay, here are the keys to Gaza and the West Bank. You guys go ahead and you have, here's your Palestinian state. The only conditions are you... Don't arm yourselves against us. You don't export terrorism to other people. And um, that you don't kill each other. They would do it. The only problem has been, and this is not when I say only, not to minimize it, is that 
for reasons having to do with their own decisions, meaning the Palestinians, and reasons to do without, let's not kid ourselves, the decisions of the Israeli government recently, there's just no one right now to do it. There is no what's called civil society in these parts of the of the of the globe and have the saudis and the iranians and the 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 qataris the egyptians the jordanians have they come in and said we the old arab league well not the iranians were in the arab league i don't think but the old arab league we're going to build this up we're going to build up these institutions and things like that no, to the extent that it's happened in the past, it has been the Israelis have kind of done it with our aid, our taxpayer aid, and it has been not a success. For a brief period of time in the mid, well, the late 2000s, the Palestinian Authority, not Hamas, the Fatah Party, was given control over what's called Area A, which was basically Ramallah and Nablus. And the Israelis said, we're going to collect taxes on your behalf and we're going to give it to you and you're going to run, you know, you're going to fill the potholes. The police are going to be yours, not ours. You're going to be responsible for making sure terrorism doesn't come in from these territories into the into Israel. You guys are going to run your own show. You're going to open your businesses and run your movie theaters and all this other kind of stuff. And to some degree, for a brief time, it was moderately successful. And then the Palestinian Authority proved under Mahmoud Abbas, who was the successor to Yasser Arafat, was just unable to do it from a political perspective, unable to to hold the support of its people. From a governmental perspective, was unable to make the train runs on time. 800-848-WABC is our phone uh, uh, number. We have one line open. And so in 2005, when in the other side, and this is part of the problem that these two pieces of land are not contiguous, on the other side, on the, in Gaza, where we all know the map is now in 2005, there are elections, and the Palestinian Authority loses the election to Hamas, Hamas says, we're going to make trains around time. We're going to give you a better quality of life. And as another little bonus, we're also going to give you a sense of pride that you're standing up and fighting against the Israelis. They chose them. They chose the terrorist organization to run things. Now, starting shortly after 2005, Hamas does everything possible to wipe out the Palestinian Authority in Gaza with the aid and support of all kinds of foreign countries, Turkey, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Qatar. So here we are now in 2023, going into 2024. The Israelis are doing what they need to do, which is wiping out Hamas by force. Now, in the intervening time, what's happened in recent years is Bibi Netanyahu has said, I don't really mind having Hamas there. I don't, I would, it's very complicated to, to try to do a two state solution. Didn't do all that much to stop the flow of aid, flow, flow of weapons. They pretty much thought they had Hamas contained. They were wrong. <clears throat> so now here we are. There's the idea that some people have, have come up with, including the Biden administration, is, well, why don't we just take the old Palestinian authority that was operating in the West Bank 
of the Jordan River, unpopular there, and let's just drop them into Gaza and say, okay, guys, keep the peace, rebuild this place, and you guys will be the governors of this. doesn't work. And what is Bibi Netanyahu's idea? Well, the IDF, the Israelis, will come in and we will reoccupy Gaza. Now, I, I told you in 2005 there were elections there. Is Israel, Israel left, no, I'm sorry, 2007 were the elections, but Israel left Gaza in 2007, just left. Everyone said, if you just stop occupying, it'll be better. So they say, we're going to go back in. And the previous caller makes the point that there's, yes, sure, you're going to be killing Hamas, but you're killing other people too. Happens in war. It's tragic. But you're also killing any hope of there being people who grow up to say anything but I'm going to avenge this crime. Like you basically keep the cycle going. And that is why victory for Israel, as John Kennedy might have said, could be like ashes in our mouth. That it is going to be a victory in defeating Hamas, but it won't be a victory in ensuring the long-term safety and security for Israel. And if you are someone that wants to figure out a real solution in that part of the world, this has been a horrible, I mean, it's horrible. But let's bifurcate the issues. The first issue is, we all agree, I think, I don't even know anymore, we all agree that you have to kill Hamas. And then it becomes a question of, are you doing it gently or too, or too violently? So, but it's the right question, what now? And that's the, the sad part of this, that as the whole world, you know, as the main part of the war ends and everyone goes back to protesting about other things, it's going to be left to the Israelis, the Palestinians, and hopefully us to try to figure out what happens next. And that's not going to be... That's not going to be very easy. Let's go to Tony in New Jersey. Hey, Tony, welcome back. How you doing, Anthony? Uh, I, I got an idea. Uh, at the end of World War II, when Germany was defeated, we had a program called denazification. And, and I think it was a, a very successful program where they uh, got rid of all the Nazis that were in the government at the end of the war that they were they were trying to form new government after the second world war and uh, a lot of the former nazis got into positions of power but the united states then decided well we got to denazify the country and it worked i don't know how long they had that program in existence but maybe they could do something like that at the gaza where they uh do you you know do that with the uh the terrorists and maybe they have uh, Israelis who are Arabs go in and occupy Gaza instead of Jewish Israelis. And maybe uh, some neutral country, maybe a country like Morocco could send some uh, some troops. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Tony, and I appreciate your call. It was the Germans themselves that, quote unquote, denazified Germany because they realized 
it was such a national stain on on what they had gone through, and they realized that it led to what you know that that therapy they were it was a deep sense of of national shame, and their laws are the most are the most anti Nazi anti hate speech in the world now or in Germany. It's not to say that every last vestige of Nazi thought has been stamped out, but arguably, if arguably we have more here in the United States than they have there. <clears throat> the problem is with this idea of coming up with some cocktail of like who we think should go in and govern Gaza and the West Bank is that that's not the way democracy ever takes hold. Democracy has to take hold when people choose their own leaders. And what I have said before, and I'm not the first person to say this, is when there's an when people who have no experience with democracy, take Iraq, for example, after we took down Saddam Hussein, and they have elections, the first instinct that they have is not necessarily, well, who's going to make the trains run on time? It's like, who's going to, what tribe am I in? What, what group am I in that is going to defend my, me from that other group or to take vengeance on that other group for years? You know, for years they had a Shia government controlling what is essentially a soon am I getting that backwards? Yes. It's a Shia government that was essentially supporting, um, no, it was a Sunni government uh, oppressing a Shia population. And so it was all about taking out gripes. Sending someone in there from Morocco or some, or some Arabic-speaking Jew, Arabic-speaking Israeli, no one's going to vote for them. And maybe that there's that the idea of elections is too far off that we should just look for some kind of like caretaker. I don't know. But here's the other problem, and it's not a small one. Who would you trust to make sure that Hamas doesn't take hold again? The United Nations? No. Morocco's military? No. A group of volunteers? from? No. The problem is we saw what happens when Israel left Gaza in 2005. It became a military enemy state. In Lebanon, you have a basically an occupied state of Hezbollah. This whole idea of, okay, just let the people decide. No, you need someone in there every day to make sure they're not digging new tunnels and buying more rockets. And we'll have more when we get back on the middle. Who you gonna trust when the judge is so unjust and the jury must discuss? Say you don't look like one of us. Who you gonna turn now the court has been adjourned? It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Oh, I used to worry about 
Jamiroquai was going to be something. They just had that one record, I guess. Can he, Jamiroquai? It's the dude with the big hat, I think. Yeah, this one video with which at the time, I, I can't remember the name of the song, but at the time it was kind of like pretty revolutionary. He danced on what was a moving floor. Like it was kind of like it's kind of like a treadmill. You couldn't see that. Um and then they turned the camera at different angles and it looked like he was just on the wall. And on, anyway, it was, it was, I, I, I remember thinking when Jamiroquai became a thing, oh, they're going to be the next big thing. I also had that wrong about Flock of Seagulls. I thought they were going to be big. <laughs> they, had that, they had that one song and that was it. So I'm not good at predictions on the music front. But next week on the show, I'm going to go back and look at the predictions that I did for this year, see how I did. And I'm going to try to do some predictions for 2024. I just want to tell you, just as a preview, I am so grateful for the opportunity that I've had to kind of do this show, to help it grow, to find my footing. The opportunity that John, Margaret Katsimatidis, Chad and Emily, all the guys here, the the mentorship of of Curtis and the mentorship of Kevin and kind of like learning how to do it with Christian and Ava kind of as a team has been, been great. Nick has been super helping us out. It's just, I just have a lot of gratitude because, you know, there's just not any element of me being thrown in to kind of fend for myself. There's been a whole lot of support um, I've gotten. And also the, the support that I've gotten from listeners who have not only tuned in, I mean, the, the, the ratings are great, but also who have reached out to me at, WABC at gmail.com and said, you got this wrong, you got this right, or I like the show, or what song was that? Um, it's been great. And, and as I've said before, and um, I'll say it again, that, that I'm not the same guy I was when I was in political life in that, you know, I'm not sitting at home watching C-SPAN 3 throwing shoes at the TV and that kind of stuff. And I, And while I miss the interactions with my constituents and the hearing the stories and the connecting with them and the opportunities to be of service to them. In this version of my life, where I am now, this is, the, this is how I think I can be of service. Not that I'm some wise, sage person, but like not sitting on a set in MSNBC and being the 15th person parroting the same thing, but being here on a station that's conservative right having conversations with people who care enough about the civic life of our country to be listening to the conversation here, who, who push back on me when they think that they should and having conversation. I mean, it's, it's to me just the right amount and you can only do it on radio in this world of, of podcasts and whatever. This is still the platform that is truly interactive that someone gets on the phone and they call you and they say what they think. And um, with that in mind, let's go to Pete in Long Island. Hey, Pete, welcome. Uh, Pete for Scatterway, actually. But I want to talk about uh, reparations. I'm for it on a couple of provisos. One, 
they have to do the legwork, whoever has a claim for it. Secondly, they have to meet an economic threshold. You can't make $5 million and expect, you know, a check. And the checks cannot be outlandish. I mean, it cannot be 200 million checks per person. And I think it would help the, the economy. They, it would go plow back into the economy. And secondly, also, it would help some uh, generation of kids who want to get into, like, private schooling. So I, it might be a plus-plus win-win. But also, when you if you get a check, you sign, this is it. No future generations can make a claim on this stuff. And that's my uh, take on it. Yeah, I think that's an interesting and, and good take. I mean, look, my view is, and I think I'm going to talk about this a little bit with with Curtis, but Pete, I, I, I think you've got some ideas, but the most important thing might have been the thing that you jumped ahead from, which is, look, the main thing these commissions should do is just a certain amount of reconciliation with what went down. And the advantage is, you know, my dad recently passed away. He and my mom, for like $40,000 or something, bought a limestone duplex in Park Slope in the 1960s. And that became the place that our family, a middle-class family, you know, my mom was a school teacher was able to accumulate a certain amount of wealth in the American dream. Just that act of being able to buy a home was something that generations of black people couldn't ever do. So to say that, well, they can buy a home today, well, what about the accumulated wealth and stature and whatever it is that my family, a middle-class family, was able to achieve? I mean, just and just the stories of what led us to where we are today. You know, here in New York State, hopefully someone is going to go back and look at the history of Seneca Village. Here in New York City, African-American owned property here in New York in the 1800s. And about 250 families that were there. Some Irish immigrants also, some Germans. And then we decided we're going to take it from them and we're going to build... Central Park. Now, that's a tiny thing compared to what the blacks, the slavehold, the, the slaves in the South went to. But the whole idea of reparations is just we have this conversation. You know, what, that a panel gets together and we have a bunch of hearings and people learn and people understand the economic harms that were done and the idea that, well, no one's holding back that guy from running the, the, that relay race. We're just running it together. But wait a minute. The last three people that were running the race ran it with a, with a, you know, a, a steel ball around their ankle. There is nothing wrong with saying that we are a country that is every year, every day trying to be better. It, there is nothing wrong with pointing out the sins of our fathers. There is nothing, there's nothing about history that should scare us. No more than, than if tomorrow, tomorrow, something appeared on a shelf in a museum that was taken from the Jews, some, some Jew in the Holocaust, by the Germans, that that doesn't go back to them. Now, we are not able to atone for every sin. 
But I'm in a program of recovery that believes in the idea of everyday trying. Trying. You, you keep taking an inventory as a country and you make amends where you can. Sometimes that's a form of passing a law. Sometimes it's having a commission. We're not afraid of our past in this country. That's not who we are. We learn. We're not blaming. We're not like blaming. And, and for me, the, 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 the details of how you carry out the reparations is really not the important part. The important part is everyone sitting around looking in the mirror and saying, look at our history. What can we learn? And if there are ways that we can make amends to those that were harmed, we should do it. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. We'll see you on the other side to wrap up. to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. This is. Let's hear it. I guess it's. Holly came from Christian, check check where this was recorded and when. It's Lou Reed doing it live. Classic song, Wild Side. All right, let's do a couple of final calls here. A couple of folks still want to talk about the president and the insurre- the former president of the insurrection. Let's go to John in Brooklyn. Go ahead, John. Hey, Anthony. How you doing? I'm well, John. I'm doing- Listen, so uh, you brought up a lot of things about the insurrection before. And you said that the people in the uh, courts in uh, Colorado said that uh, President Trump, ex-President Trump, was uh, unallowed to participate in the um, in, in, the, in the campaign for president because he's an insurrectionist. But we have to understand that he was never uh, convicted of insurrection. The Constitution, the, Consti- the Constitution doesn't require that. We didn't charge people after, after the Civil War. We didn't charge any of those people. It doesn't say has convicted. Now, that's, that's, but even if that's the fact, um, it's just not right. 
it's almost the same thing as uh, as um, being convicted of something, not being convicted of something, and 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 um, the due process was never given you. Yeah, but well, I mean, the due process was, part might be right, but you say it's not right, but it's in the Constitution. But he was never convicted. It doesn't I, I say. In, it doesn't say. But. John, it, it doesn't in, uh, say, it doesn't require, Just, I just want to make sure you understand it before we go forward with the conversation. It doesn't say in the conversation, convicted of insurrection. It says having been an insurrectionist. You know, you think about that with insurrection. Um, isn't Article 5 uh, say that the Congress has to be the uh, deciding factor if he is an insurrectionist or not? No, it says it's... it's I think it, it does, No, Anthony. No, it says, it says all that they can... Their only role is if they want to waive that requirement to allow him to run. They can overturn it if they want. Now, the part you said about due process is actually a good one because I think that that is... That is the best argument that, you know, what what is the process to determine if someone is a do is it, it definitely isn't a trial in the court sense, because then the the writers of the 14th Amendment would have said someone convicted of insurrection and they didn't say that. Um, so but that that's a reasonable question. Let's go to Robert in Suffolk. Hey, Robert. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Robert. I'd like to challenge you to a debate on the merits about this removal of Trump from the ballot. In Colorado? Yes, and elsewhere. They actually already did it. They they already had a, they had a trial and they had he court hearings. They determined he is an insurrectionist by a 4 to 3 margin they said he shouldn't be on the ballot. Well, I'd like to debate you on the issues of it and the merits. Um uh, sure, I kind of just already did a whole hour so why don't you do a minute on why you think he's not? You're hanging your hat on the January 6th hearing. It was not a trial, like you said on the air. It doesn't have to be a trial, as, the, as you know from the Constitution. There was no due process in that. There was. It was a five-day trial on whether or not he was an insurrectionist. They had a five-day trial. He was had an opportunity to present evidence. He had witnesses. And, and the court ruled against him seven to nothing. No. <laughs> they cherry-picked what was and was not allowed. Yes, that's the way trials work. You don't get to just yell anything you want. You get to, you get to. Come on, this is the. I'm, the answer is no. I'm not going to debate you because you're not. You're not prepared enough. Yes, that's what trials do. You always have rules of evidence and everything else. Now, if you wanted to make your best possible argument for why the Supreme Court should throw out what the Colorado Supreme Court did and send it back to Colorado, you would say that whatever process they came up with was insufficient. But it wasn't nothing. It was five days with evidence and witnesses and plenty of opportunities for Trump to bring evidence. Now, they, but you remember, if you're just going to go by the letter of the Constitution, you're stuck. So you have to come up with some way to wiggle out of it. And I think the way they wiggle out of it is by saying that he didn't get sufficient due process. But then I want to tell you something. They're going to have to say then what due process looks like. And then every other state can then go follow that process. And you're right back where you started from, which is the Constitution of the United States says that that having engaged in insurrection rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort the enemies thereof, you can't be on the ballot. It's not that they did the wrong thing. Now, I think I want him to be on the ballot, 
And I want him to lose just like he did to Biden by a bunch of votes in 2020. I want that to happen again so that forever we are done with this guy. Now, that's my bias. And if I'm a Republican, I want him to be on the ballot. I want him to be off the ballot because I know that any of the other candidates beat Joe Biden but Donald Trump. So in a weird way, I, as the Democrat, want him on the ballot. Most Republicans should want him off the ballot. But I think at the end of the day, he's definitely going to be on the ballot. This this is the most partisan political Supreme Court in American history. I'm Anthony Weiner. This has been The Middle. So great to have you along. We have one more episode before the end of the year. That's next Saturday. I will be here. I'll also be on some overnights with Dominic and some filling in with Curtis. Stick around. Speaking of Curtis, he's coming in for Left versus Right at 4 o'clock. And I hope you have a great Festivus. And if I don't uh, connect with all of you, have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. And I wish you all many blessings.